Good morning. Good morning. Hi. Great to see you. My name is Bryce Hales, and I'm the pastor here at Resurrection OC, and it's, uh, it's great to be with you this morning. I want to invite you to um, turn with me in uh, the Bible to Mark chapter 4. And if you didn't bring a Bible of your own with you this morning, you can find Mark 4. Um, and uh, there's a blue Bible near you. On the ground, you can find Mark 4 on page 839 in, in one of those blue Bibles. Uh, we're going to read uh, Mark chapter 4, starting at verse 35. So would you please stand with me as we uh, give our attention and show deference to God's Word together. It says this, On that day, when evening had come, Jesus said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him, and a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and sea obey him? This is God's word. Would you pray with me? Let's pray together. Father, I pray this morning that as we, as we look at this account of the work of Jesus, that like the, his original followers, we would be um, overwhelmed at his presence. Would you help us like them to respond with wonder and awe? Who is Jesus? Would you help us to know him this morning? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated, please. But we are uh, continuing our series this morning called The Real Jesus, looking at uh, each week, um, as Mark tells us, a little bit more, a little bit more about who this Jesus really is. And uh, it's common today for people that we know, the people we interact with, maybe for us ourselves, to think or to say things like, you know, you can, you can, we can never really be sure who the actual Jesus was. Um, there's this kind of view that everybody knows, right, that uh, supposedly that uh, the stories about Jesus that we have in the Bible uh, they're just a collection of legends, of, uh, of stories that were passed down over time and maybe uh, embellished over time. Maybe they're inspirational, maybe they're moving, um, but, but we can't ever really know if they're true. But the one thing that, or one of the things that I think stands out in this passage that I just read is just the, the overwhelming details that Mark uh, relates to us in, uh, in this short account of Jesus calming the storm. 
Uh, Richard Bauckham is a uh, professor at Cambridge University, and he's, uh, he wrote a book called Jesus and the Eyewitnesses. And he points out in that book that one of the features of an eyewitness account is how it will often include details that are irrelevant to the story that you're trying to communicate. Um, fictional accounts will contain details only to make a point. Um, think, about the think about the movie The Sixth Sense as a perfect example of this. There are moments early in the movie that you think don't make a difference, and then it's only when you get to the end and you find out the end, I'm not gonna spoil it, but I don't know, it came out like 15 years ago, so get with it if you haven't seen it yet. Um, but you know, you think there are relevant details, but when you get to the end of the movie, you realize, oh, every little thing along the way actually meant something. But a real account, an eyewitness account, works differently. If I tell you a story about a great meal that I had, as I'm telling the story, I might, talk, I might mention what color the tablecloth was. Or I might tell you that I got lost on the way to the restaurant. Um, or, or whatever I might include there. Because as I'm telling you the story, I'm, I'm recalling something that has actually happened. And so in this, um, in, in when we tell eyewitness accounts, these, these actual details, which are really irrelevant to the point or the message of the story, they just kind of slip out on accident. And Richard Bauckham points out that this story is full of that kind of irrelevant details that would never really be included if Mark had been making up a story about a guy named Jesus that calmed the storm. Um, think about some of these things. Why does he mention that this happened in the evening? It's irrelevant to the story. It could have happened in the morning, could happen in the afternoon, could happen on Tuesday or Saturday. It doesn't matter, right? Uh, why does he tell us, why does he mention that there were other boats with them as they set off to, to, to cross the sea? It doesn't matter. Why does uh, Mark tell us that when Jesus was asleep, his head was resting on a cushion? I mean, we get the picture if he was asleep in the storm. It doesn't matter if there was a cushion there. These irrelevant details have the, 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 they're the hallmark of an eyewitness account because what Mark is doing in the book of Mark is he's telling us the, the eyewitness account of the apostle Peter who was in the boat when this actually happened. These details don't really add anything to the message, but they have the ring of genuine reminiscence. And this is important. The reason I'm saying this is because well, frankly, it's because it's a story about Jesus calming a storm. And um, depending on your background, I, like a flannel graph Jesus picture, uh, calming a storm uh, might be inspiring, but it doesn't actually make a difference when it comes to dealing with the real troubles of life. And what Mark wants us to see as we look at this passage um, is that Jesus is powerful. And the way that I think that, uh, that he wants us to read this is this, that, that fear is real. And fear is a powerful thing. And when we are, in, uh, we are faced with crises and moments of fear, and moments of doubt, um, inspirational stories and fairy tales are going to do very little for us in those moments. If Jesus is going to confront our fears with his power, we have to know that we have met the real Jesus, not just the Jesus of fairy tale and legend. We need the real Jesus. Because fear is powerful. Fear will make us do things that we wouldn't ordinarily do. Um, fear is one of the most powerful motivators in life. 
Um, fear can be debilitating. It can leave us paralyzed. Consider, as an example, the story of a woman named Linda. So a woman named Linda who was sitting in her car, and she had, she had uh, gone out of town. She was going to visit her uh, in-laws, and on the way, she stopped at the grocery store to pick up some groceries. And um, a man saw Linda sitting in her car with both of her hands above her head, with her eyes closed, and he saw her as he was walking into the grocery store sitting like that, and it, you know, it was kind of weird, so it made an impression on him. He was in the grocery store for maybe 20, 30 minutes, and he comes out of the grocery store, and he sees this woman in her car with her hands in the same place. Her eyes are now open, and, and being a little bit concerned about her, he walked over and, and asked if she was okay. And this woman, Linda, responded by saying, I have been shot in the back of the head and I'm holding my brains in. Will you please get help? She refused to open the door. She refused to take her hands off of her head because she was holding her brains in. <laughs> Just wait. Okay, so this man calls the paramedics and they arrive and um, she refused to take her hands off her head Paramedics have to break into the car, and as they do, they discover um, Pillsbury dough on the back of her head and an exploded can of Pillsbury dough in the back of her, her car. And uh, the heat had caused the, the dough thing to expand, and she heard a shot like a gunshot and felt something on the back of her head and put her hands back there and felt this gooey matter that she assumed was her brain leaking out the back. <laughs> she had initially been so terrified she had actually passed out for a short period of time, came to holding her hand, you know, but you get the point. Fear has the unique ability to make us do crazy things, and whether that fear is a well-founded or not is really irrelevant. I gotta tell you the truth, I'm not sure if that's a true story, but it's a good one, isn't it? <laughs> Fear will make us do uh, crazy things. Fear uh, can be debilitating. We live in a world that is polarized and paralyzed by fear. Uh, last week, I was at a, a meeting of our church, our denomination's uh, general assembly. It's the one week a year when all of the, uh, uh, many of the pastors and elders from our, our denomination gather together, and we were in Atlanta. And it was generally a really good week, but it always... Uh, surprises me at how um, some people can just be incredibly cantankerous um, and uh, just incredibly mean-spirited over things that, that seemingly don't have much consequence. Um, and I uh, had some friends that were talking about running into one night, kind of after hours, after the meeting was done, running into uh, uh, to some guys that had just been really angry uh, in the business meeting at a restaurant and sitting down and talking and, and getting to know, to know these guys had just been really unkind. And, and, and my friends kind of asking these guys, what, what is going on? And their response essentially saying, you know, I'm just afraid. I'm just afraid that I'm the only one that is going to draw a line in the sand and actually hold on to the truth of the Bible. Uh, I'm afraid that people want to make changes. I'm afraid that nobody else is going to, uh, going to stand up and defend the Bible. Uh, fear 
is a very powerful thing. It's such a powerful thing that fear can make uh, good people, people who love Jesus, people who are pastors in his church, act like, uh, well, just cruel people, unkind people. Fear is a powerful motivator. I remember my first day of middle school. Do you remember your first day of middle school? It was terrifying. And uh, I remember walking into the lunch area on the first day of middle school. And it was this, this horrible moment because in the town I'd grown up, there were two elementary schools and we all kind of combined in one middle school. But everybody sits in a different place, right? <laughs> I don't know where my friends sit. And I remember walking into the lunch area and just thinking, oh my gosh, like, where do, what do I do? And, and, and the fear of being alone kind of just leading me to like, I just sat down with a group of people and like ate lunch. And then I did that every day for three years. <laughs> And I really, I'm not even sure that they were like my friends. I think just the fear of being alone meant that these are the people that I ended up spending lunch with almost every day of, uh, of middle school. Split-second split decision motivated by fear, the fear of being alone. Few things in life motivate us more than our fears. Whether we call it anxiety or stress or uncertainty, the things that we fear play a large role in the way that we live our lives. And in this passage, Jesus confronts our fearfulness. And he shows us that he is the antidote to living lives that are formed and directed and controlled by fear. So I want you to see two things in this passage. I want you to see, firstly, what fear actually is. But then second, I want to show you what the antidote to fear is. So first, what fear really is. Uh, in this story, Jesus and his disciples, they get into a boat and uh, they're going to cross the Sea of Galilee. And as they do, a, a storm arises. The Sea of Galilee is about 700 feet below sea level. And it's uh, 30 miles away from Mount Hermon. The top of Mount Hermon is at 9,200 feet elevation. And so what happens at the Sea of Galilee is the cool air coming off the mountain and the warm air from this deep depression in the earth uh, often clash and, and, uh, and still to this day, um, it's known that storms will suddenly and violently kind of arise on the Sea of Galilee. And uh, so the disciples and Jesus are on this boat and they're crossing the sea and this storm arises and water is filling into the boat and they are afraid. Now keep in mind that these disciples of Jesus, almost every one of them is a fisherman, right? This isn't like me and my kids out in a little rowboat. Uh, and we get a little uncomfortable. These are men who were comfortable being at sea. And it says that they are afraid. They're scared. And what I want you to see is this. Fear comes from obsessing over the enormity of our circumstances. Fear comes from obsessing over the enormity of our circumstances. Not just that there are scary, big, large things going on around us. It's obsessing about them. It's being overwhelmed by them. And fear drives us in the moment of fear to do things that we wouldn't otherwise do. And we see this in the disciples' response because they come and they wake Jesus up. They say, Jesus, don't you care about us? Jesus, don't you, like, I don't know how that statement strikes you. I, I think that is an absurd <laughs> But it's an absurd thing for them to ask Jesus because these 12 men, they followed Jesus around every moment for three years of his life. Um, if there was one thing that they surely knew, it's that Jesus 
cared about them. They knew that Jesus loved them, uh, but fear drives us to say and think and do things that we would never otherwise do. Don't you care about us, God? The proof, uh, I mean, think about this. Isn't the proof that God cares, that Jesus cares, the fact that he's in the boat at all? I mean, the story of the Bible is the story of God coming to earth to make himself known. The story of Jesus is the story of God leaving his throne in heaven and putting on human flesh and coming into our world in order to make himself known, in order to save us. The fact that God cares is demonstrated by the fact that Jesus is, is in the boat. But fear causes us to do things we wouldn't otherwise do. And fear shows us the state of our hearts. Um, in a moment of fear, in a moment of, uh, in a moment of fear, who we are and what we really think and care about comes out. Several years ago, uh, my wife and I were going to see a, a movie on Friday after Friday evening, and um, earlier that day, my mom called me just kind of out of the blue, and we were just chit-chatting. My mom said, "What are you guys?" This was before we had kids, and my mom said, "What are you guys going to do tonight?" I said, "We're going to go see. A, we're going to go see a movie tonight." And my, she said, oh, what are you guys going to see? And um, what I told her was, oh, we haven't decided yet. Now, what I knew was true was we were going to go see this movie called Once. I don't know if you saw this. So it won, actually, the, it won, I think, a, an Oscar for, like, Best Song or something like that. Kind of indie film about these musicians, street musicians in Ireland that made this record together. It was a beautiful, great, great movie. But I knew that, like, my mom would not, it really wasn't going to be, like, up her alley. And... Um, and I didn't really want to talk about it. <laughs> and so when my mom said, what movie are you going to see? I said, we haven't decided yet, even though I knew we were going to see Once. So I said, I don't know. And my mom said, oh, well, we just saw this movie called Once. It was horrible, so don't go see it. <laughs> so here I am, like, caught in this stupid lie. I think, I can't even remember. I think I've told her about this whole thing at this point. Um, but, like... There's nothing wrong, there's no reason, there's not like it's an immoral movie, but why? But like, I'm so afraid of what people think about me that in this moment, I take the easy way out and I tell my mom a stupid lie because I'm worried about what people think about me. Fear drives us to do uh, dumb things, silly things, crazy things. So much of our lives are driven by fear because we obsess over what's going on around us. What do people think about us? We, we obsess about our circumstances. Okay, that's what fear is. But have you ever met somebody who, um, once in a while you come across somebody who seems to not be rattled by the circumstances of their lives? They seem to be extraordinarily calm in the presence of something that you think should make them, like why aren't you more afraid than you are? Uh, and why are you like that? Have you ever met somebody like that? Well, the second thing that I want you to see in this passage is that there's an antidote to fear. Um, as the disciples cower in fear, Jesus is asleep. Um, Jesus is asleep. Why is Jesus asleep? Well, Jesus is so utterly confident in the care and protection and presence and power of God that he can sleep in the midst of a raging storm. And the disciples wake him and he calms the storm simply by saying, peace, be still. He, I read uh, one commentator on this passage says, Jesus talks to a storm the way a parent talks to a petulant child. 
The storm obeys Jesus better than my children obey me. He's quieting this storm, and it says that the storm is dead calm. Dead calm. And he looks at the disciples and he says, Why are you still afraid? Have you no faith? In verse 40. And when Jesus says this, what we see is this. The antidote to fear is faith. The antidote to fear is faith. Now, I don't know how that strikes you. Like some of you are like, okay, yeah, I get that. I have to be honest. I hate the word faith. Um, I don't hate faith, but I think that the word faith is probably the most misused, misunderstood word in the English language. Because um, we think that faith means something like believing something despite overwhelming evidence to the contrary. Um, Faith is what we have if we don't quite know something, right? That's what we think of faith. Or we think of faith as like a, a vague spiritual feeling. But what we see in this passage is what faith truly is. Um, In verse 41, Jesus has calmed the storm, and it says, The the disciples were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Um, Faith is not this vague spiritual feeling. The disciples thought that they had a problem because the boat was filling with water, Uh, and they're going to sink. But Jesus calms the storm. They were afraid, but now it says they are greatly afraid because they are now in the boat with someone who can calm storms with his words. And that's terrifying. (laughs) Um, Who is this that calms the storm? What kind of power is this? Faith is not a feeling that I can muster up inside myself. Faith is what comes when you are struck by the enormity of Jesus. You see, that fear is being uh, overwhelmed or obsessed with the enormity of our circumstances, but faith is being overwhelmed by the enormity of who Jesus really is. The disciples were afraid of the storm, but now they're filled with great fear. They're, they're, they're afraid of, who are they afraid of? They're afraid of Jesus, aren't they? Um, fear in this sense, I mean, the Bible, throughout the, throughout the Bible, talks about uh, the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Why are they afraid of Jesus? Well, fear in this case means something like reverential awe. Um, I, I don't know if I can articulate this, but I feel like so much of our lives... We go about our lives with this idea that that faith or being a person of faith or having faith in Jesus is sort of a normal thing that can fit into the ordinariness of our lives. Many of us are trying to figure out how to fit Jesus into the rest of our lives. But when we actually encounter the real Jesus, uh, there is this sense that, that a great power has shown up that changes everything in our lives. Uh, there's a sense of awe, a sense of being overwhelmed, a sense that if this, if this person who's shown up in my life isn't good, like he is powerful, and if he isn't also good, I am in a world of trouble. We live in a time where we can talk about being a person of faith. Uh, we, you, might, you might say something like this. Um, 
you know, there are, uh, on the street that I live on, there are three Christians that live on that street. But basically, we all look the same as everybody else, right? But the Jesus of this passage changes everything. Have you met the Jesus, the real Jesus, the Jesus who is powerful, the Jesus who would, who would change everything in our lives? As a pastor, almost every week I get to sit with people and hear stories about what God is doing in their lives and how he has shown up in their lives. And uh, several weeks ago I talked to somebody who... Uh, who <laughs> who said that, you know, I have to be honest, basically I've always thought of Jesus as a guy who uh, wears a dress but has a beard. Uh, and, and this person was, was at the point in his life where, I mean, he just had made, he made a mess of his life and was headed towards just shipwrecking everything. And he said, I prayed for God to show up. I prayed for God to show up, and he didn't. And I was determined... Uh, I was determined to shipwreck everything, essentially, to take the easy way out. And suddenly God showed up, and he said, and I was undone. I was just undone. I was convinced that, I don't know how else to describe it, there was a power that had arrived in my life. When God shows up in our lives, we don't say, oh, that's really nice, this Jesus thing. Could you just please wrap it up, because the golf thing is on TV in a little bit. Or, um, I know my son's really anxious to get home in time for the World Cup game at 11. You know, like, that's great, that's great. We're going to watch the second half. But, like, when Jesus shows up in our lives, it is a power that changes everything, and we do not tend to think of Jesus like that. Do you know him? Do you know him? This morning I was um, looking over my notes and I was looking at Facebook and kind of catching up with some friends that I had been with uh, last week in Atlanta and a friend of mine um, put this message up to, to uh, a friend of mine who's a pastor in Oklahoma City said this, he said, please pray for me today. Uh, in our church we try as often as we can to have somebody share a testimony about what God is doing or has done in their lives and he said, pray for me today because during our testimony time a man named Philip is going to share his story he said Philip was seduced by a woman when he was 18, and after three months of meeting with her, she had convinced him to shoot her husband dead, and he did. And he was arrested and sentenced to life in prison at 18 years old. And um, my friend said, uh, in prison, Philip met Jesus, and everything began to change. And his friend, John, his high school friend, stuck by him through all of these years. And he said, uh, Philip's life began to turn around. Everything about his life changed. And against all odds, after 19 years of a life sentence, through the advocacy of John in this church, Philip was released from prison. And here's why he asked us to pray. Because he said, uh, while he was in jail, Philip met a young woman named Amanda, who was a former Brazilian swimsuit model. And they fell in love. And about an hour ago, in between the 9 and 11 o'clock service at a church in Oklahoma City, my friend Doug married this man and this woman. 
Now, what is the point of that story? The point is not that if Jesus shows up in your life, you too might marry a swimsuit model, just to be clear. The point is this, the same Jesus who calmed the storm on the Sea of Galilee is alive today. And he is at work in the lives of people just like you and just like me and just like Philip who are driven by fear to do insane things. He is still alive. And when he shows up in our lives, he calms our fears. And we who are overwhelmed uh, with life become overwhelmed by who he is. He has the power. He has the power to do anything. And he calls us to follow him. Have you met that Jesus? Not the Jesus of I don't know, the flannel graph in Sunday school. Have you met the Jesus who comes into your life with power and rearranges everything? What will put to rest the fears that dominate your life? Feelings of piety and inspiration are going to do nothing in the face of real problems, real circumstances, real fears when the storms of life are raging. But there is a greater power at work in the world the one who simply speaks and the wind and the sea obey him is at live and at work in our world. But in some ways, that's not the most incredible part of the story. Uh, the most incredible part of the story is not that Jesus calms the storm by speaking, but in the context of the book of Mark, it is all moving towards a climax when this one who calms the storm goes to the cross. And on the cross, the soldiers, the Roman soldiers that are there mock him and they tell him, if you really are the son of God, why don't you call the angels and they will come and they will save you. And he doesn't. He does not call for help. Why does he not call for help? Well, the answer surely is not because he can't. He's the one who created the world. He is the one who the physical creation responds to. Why doesn't he save himself? Well, on the cross, Jesus fights the biggest storm that we will ever face because he is fighting not against the Romans who are killing him, but against the powers of sin and death himself. And he calms the storm that can only truly drown us by throwing himself into it. On the cross, Jesus gives up his power and calms the storm by letting it wipe him away. It cost him everything. The God of the universe calms the ultimate storm of life by giving himself up for you. I want to remind you um, of what I said a few weeks ago at the beginning of this series. We are looking at the real Jesus in the book of Mark this summer because the book of Mark, uh, Mark wants to tell us two things. He wants to tell us that Jesus is Lord and that Jesus is Savior. And most of us today, I believe, uh, most people who are Christians, I think even people who aren't Christians, are really okay with the idea that Jesus is our Savior. Okay, if you want to believe that Jesus is a gracious guy, if he's merciful, if he died for you, maybe that's inspirational for you, that's great. Um, Even Christians, this this idea that Jesus... um, died to take care of the mess that I have made of my life. We're very happy with that. 
But the whole first half of the book of Mark is Mark over and over and over again saying, Jesus is the Lord. Jesus is the King. Jesus commands your obedience. The one who speaks and calms the storm doesn't do that to give you a more comfortable life. Jesus didn't die on the cross to give you the freedom to just be a happy person. Now, that may be a side effect of what he's done, but he is the king who comes into the world and he calls us to follow him, to obey him. Jesus is the sovereign Lord of the universe who stills storms with his words. By his power, he has set you free from the storm of sin and death. And he invites you to respond by giving your life away and following him. Let me finish just with this. I don't even know if it's a story. It's an anecdote. But it's Father's Day. um, And I was reminded of this uh, when I was a kid. Not my dad, but my grandpa uh, was this guy who, um, he just built cool things. He was like a tinker. He had this garage full of like, like treasures. I think it was just like he had a vice or something, but it seemed like a magical world to me as a, as a kid. And um, I remember going to his house. He had a tree house we could play in, and he had a um, he had a jacuzzi, and he would roll out a TV, and we would sit in the jacuzzi, like in the 80s, and watch TV. It was awesome. But the thing I loved about being at grandpa's house is he had like, you know what a dolly is? Like they used to move like a furniture dolly or whatever. And I loved, I would stand on that dolly and my grandpa would push me around. But I remember the moment of just sheer terror because, you know, you've all done this and uh, you stand on that dolly and, and the, 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 my grandpa would tip me back and as he would tip me back, I would bend forward. So I was afraid I was going to fall on my head. And my grandpa would laugh and say, I've got you, I can hold you. Don't be afraid. And set it up, and we'd do it again, and I'd bend forward again. And he said, don't you trust me? And I said, yeah, I trust you, but I'm afraid. Well, several years later, uh, when one of, my, one of my kids was, my, one of my older boys was, I don't know, three, four years old, uh, we were at this camp, and um, we were there. We were in the, in the I don't know, room kind of like this, and I found this furniture dolly in there. And, and uh, it was like they knew instinctively what to do, and... and my son goes and he stands on this dolly and I go behind him to tip him back. And I know doing this, I know what's going to happen. I know he's going to bend forward and it's just, it's not as much fun, right? If you don't have the rush and exhilaration of, uh, I might die here. <laughs> and I come up behind him and I tip him back and he just leans back. thinking, what happened? Like, this is the first child in history that has ever, like, been on a dolly and not freaked out. How, what is going on? And it occurred to me that um, my son has never really had a moment in his life when he didn't believe that he could trust his dad. Now he's grown up and he's discovered that there probably are moments in his life that he won't be always able to trust his dad. But the reason I'm telling you this is this. Jesus did not die uh, so that you could live a comfortable life. Jesus died so that you could live a life of mission, so that you could live a life of adventure. It is not a life where he's calling you to give up everything that you want and everything that you love. He is the king who calls us to follow him. 
and it will surely be scary. But he is with you, and he loves you, and he will hold you every step along the way. And so the question for us is this. Will you let faith in Jesus drive out the fear of circumstances and follow him into whatever he calls you to in this life? Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you, with a word, without doing magic tricks, without uh, incantations, but with a simple word, you created everything that is. And with a simple word, you calmed the storm, this physical, real storm. And yet you did so much more for us. You fought with your body, with your soul, with your life, and gave yourself up for us. Jesus, would we know your power? Would you so invade our being that we would say that we could not do anything other than follow you? That can only happen if you actually show up in our lives. We pray that you would in Jesus' name. Amen.